Welcome, everybody, to the Independent Broker Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. We have Jake from The Locker Room. Jake, welcome to the show. Awesome to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, man. Absolutely. Jake, you're a little bit different than our regular audience. Usually, we, we invite independent brokers, but we brought you on board because you have experience working with so many brokers that I have a feeling that you'll bring a lot of great different perspectives to the same questions we ask all the time. Why won't you give our audience like a 30, 60 seconds of who you are, what your organization is doing, and then flow into the conversation? Yeah, perfect. So thank you again. And yes, as you said, my name is Jake. I'm the founder CEO of the Locker Room Real Estate Coaching and Training Company. What we do, frankly, is we specialize in partnering with broker owners, leadership teams, and we focus on four main pillars. And those pillars are growth, retention, productivity, and profitability. Because generally speaking, through our experience coaching hundreds of broker owners and working with literally tens of thousands of agents, most challenges or opportunities for growth exist in one of those four key components if you follow the breadcrumb trails. So we're brand agnostic. We're here to uh, to serve. And it's just an awesome opportunity to be with an abundant-minded person like you where we can just talk give value to the industry and uh, hopefully people will like it and end up implementing it for the betterment of their businesses. Awesome. What is your background? Where do you come from? How do you end up setting up a coaching program for the real estate industry? Yeah. So I'm going to take you, I'll try and give you the shorthand version. If you want to go deeper on anything, feel free. But so my background actually in a former life was playing college and professional baseball. So that is the inspiration, hence the locker room. I use a lot of sports analogies. Some of those may come out today in our conversation. So when I entered the real workforce, I got into real estate, had some immediate success, and I got tapped on the shoulder for a very large national franchise company to be their team leader, like the CEO of an office. So I did that for three years until really identifying my real passion wasn't necessarily recruiting agents, retaining, running office systems and managing people. It was sitting across that desk with an agent, helping them uncover their why. What is it that they want and why they want it? And how are we going to help them get there through the art of asking questions and of course, accountability. And that's where I had the epiphany to get into coaching. And in that first year, I worked with a group of brand new, lesser experienced agents, grew that to about a hundred people in my little coaching program there. And we did what, 3.6 million of GCI, over a million dollars of company revenue that very first year, just from that group of newer, lesser experienced agents. And fast forward all the while, I at least had the foresight to document my systems. I had the vision of building an expansion platform per se, but I documented all my systems. God forbid it actually worked. So here we were a year later with a recipe that I can now take to other locations and duplicate that success. And ever since then, as they say, the rest is history. We've partnered with hundreds of brokerages, like I said, and although the results are never equal, you can't guarantee that. We've definitely made a difference and they've made a difference for us as well. Awesome. So how does your average brokerage client look like? So our so our audience will have an idea. Is it the broker that has just themselves? Is it the broker that has one or two agents? Is it the broker broker that has thirty five agents or five hundred yeah. agents? So our ideal client, really, and there's a lot of different ways to answer that because we have multiple tiers and different options people can go to. But what you'll hear me speak about the most is partnerships. So we don't use the coach-coachee relationship kind of language. We believe in partnerships. And so for us right now, 
our ad broker partner has 25, 30 agents. So I, whether that's classified as small or midsize, I'll let your audience dictate that. But we have some who do, like one of our partners down in South Florida did $3 billion last year of closed production. So we range from superstars, mega offices and companies like that, all the way down to somebody I just spoke with today who's got two agents. They're an indie broker in your state of Texas, and she's just getting started and wanted another value proposition to recruit and attract agents to. Awesome. With those agents, with those brokers, right? Yeah. Do you work one-on-one with the broker? Do you work with the agents? Do you work with both? Or what kind of like, how does it look like? Great question. It's a, it can be a combination. It's an a la carte. So after we do a thorough needs analysis and identify the broker owner's goals, their gaps of opportunities, that's when we start to make the prescription. What are doctors, right? It's prescription without proper diagnosis is malpractice. So I don't have a blanket answer. It's based on your individualized needs. And yes, one of our partnership packages is saying, hey, let's give you leverage through the training element of things where we'll train your agents every week so you can go do whatever it is you need to do. Whereas partnership B is working directly one-on-one, developing the growth of the leader, working one-on-one more traditional coaching calls, if that's if I'm allowed to say that. And then partnership plus is the best of both worlds. So they have somebody working with them one-on-one and pouring into their agents exclusively every single week. Gotcha. When you look at, and I'm going to ask questions in in, in a way that gives you an easy answer, but also give value to our audience. Bring it. What size do you see is where brokers start to step out of production or have to step out of production? Because we've had brokers that have very small teams that have already stepped out of production and we've had brokers that have larger team but are still heavy in production so where is in your experience talking to a lot of brokers is where they have to and where would you think is ideal to start stepping out of production yeah it's a great question it's a loaded one because again there's so many variables but i will answer that to the best of my ability and i think one of the best ways to answer that is maybe through a case study, a story. So I take Reed Wilson, for example. Reed is an incredible indie broker owner. When he first joined us at the locker room, I want to say he had 11 agents and he was still very much in production himself. When he came to us, he basically said on hands and knees, please help me. I need growth because I don't want to sell anymore. I want to be an owner of a business not working in it all the time where I have to remain in production. So we reverse engineered the math, created the plan for Reed, and one year later, almost to the day actually, we're proud to say he he has completely stepped out of business. Now he's three years in with us at this point, but this was year one. And ever since then, he's right around 38 agents. I just spoke to him this morning about this. So he's at 38. So I don't know the indicator for most people. I think that depends largely on their situation, their financial thermostat, and Let's be honest, Joseph. I mean, it's the quality and production of the agents and how the compensation model of that firm works that's going to really dictate that answer. If you're a flat fee, no cap, no split, no nothing, and you're just a transaction fee-based company, that answer is going to look a lot differently than somebody who's got a 50-50 split with no cap. So it's all over the board. But I would generally say for most people, it's going to hit where... The consistency 
of the brokerage revenue through other people's production, the consistency that meets or exceeds their own personal production income, that's the trigger. Yeah, that's where it makes financial sense to start stepping out. But it not necessarily means you can get there easily because at some point, the responsibility of handling a large amount of agent over take over whatever you have on your personal production side of things. Uh, right. Or you're just becoming a bad broker. In, not bad is not the right word, but not as valuable to your agents as a broker. That's exactly right. That's exactly. And some people don't want to. The lady I just met with this morning, with all due respect, she does. She loves selling. She doesn't want to get out of production. She just wants leverage to deliver on the promises of those agents she's attracting, knowing she can't be all things to everybody all the time. But mm-hmm. she wants to build a profitable, healthy organization which requires growth, but she doesn't want to give up her own personal production. She loves it. So we generally, we see the spectrum. Gotcha. So you touched on it and let's talk about different compensation models or commission models that you see out there. You mentioned the flat fee. We know there are splits. Some people are having a cap, don't have a cap. What's your experience with setting the commission structure? If I'm a broker, either new or a broker that is trying to rethink the commission structure, how you would you navigate that kind of conversation with a broker or what would, I guess, as we're still business owners, we want to find the best bank for our buck. We want to see what's that balance between getting them for our business, but at the same time, bringing enough value to justify. So this, I'll try not to get on my soapbox on this one. <laughs> so this is a big topic for me and I love it. And I might say some things to your audience here that might hit them and they walk away saying, I don't really like what he just said. Look, that's okay, but I'm going to say it anyways. Number one, the point of running a business should be, and I believe is, to be profitable. Let's just get that clear. It's You're not running a nonprofit, taking all this liability and the things that a broker owner has, has taken the risk on, I assume it's for profit. So if we can get that out of the way, here's what I generally will say. Your compensation plan, broker owners out there, is not your value proposition. It might be a part of it, but if that is all it is, and you're trying to quote unquote compete with your competitors, trying to go through the greatest split, the lowest cap, the reduce of fees, I think you're playing a race to the bottom, right? If that's all you got, right? So many people compete just on price alone. And what do they say? In the absence of value, price is the the determining factor. And I've played this game before, so I can confidently speak on it. I've recruited hundreds of agents during my time. And what I found was in the early days when I did it the wrong way was the same reason I would recruit an agent with a great low, high splits, low cap, come on over. The same reason they joined me was the same reason they left my butt because there's always going to be somebody willing to do it cheaper. So broker owners out there, You need to reverse engineer this for yourself. Step number one is getting incredibly clear on your value proposition. What is it that you hang your hat on? And then who is your ideal agent that is going to thrive in that environment? Then and only then can I reverse engineer because so many brokers playing this game are actually dead in the water day one. They're not profitable because they're too busy busy competing on splits and fees and stuff like that alone. So for you and your value, it might make sense to go 60-40. For the next person, it might make sense to only have a transaction fee. I don't care. 
but you better be able to show me on your pro forma that you've baked in these assumptions and you're still profitable at the end of the year. Otherwise, what the heck is the point? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things that we work with our agents on the training side of things is we train on pillars, right? Like you have your four, we have our four. Our four are a little bit different, but one of the pillars we train on is building a profitable business. And because a lot of the agents are just growing, if you want to call it, or gaining experience in the business, in the industry, without realizing that they're not coming to work in my brokerage to build my business. They're coming to build their business. I'm here to support it and I'm here to give the infrastructure and the training, but it's their business. And if they don't treat it as a business, then they're not gonna last. 87% of the agents drop in the first five years. So we train on that, but it, it's, it transcends and gets to the brokers of the world. If nobody trained them as agent about building a business, then they're brokers because I've been in the business for so long. I should be a broker or I don't want to pay more commissions anymore. So I'm going to be a broker. And they end up being brokers without understanding that the very basics is it's a business and it's got to be a profit. It's such a great point. I agree with you. And one of my favorite books is the book E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. The E-Myth That's Revisited. That's a fantastic book. Oh, yes, it is. Wonderful. And it's, and I steal his term. A lot of brokers, and I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental. It's just the reality. All of us have been through yep. this at some point where we had the entrepreneurial seizure. Like, hey, I'm mm -hmm. really good at selling homes. I'm the top producer in the in my office. I'm ready to go off on my own. Great. But just because you were great at baking pies, or in this case, slinging real estate, doesn't mean you're going to make a great broker owner until you realize, crap, what did I just sign up for? It yep. is a different animal. And what it was it several years ago, the real trends team, real trends produced a report after surveying, I want to say 300 plus independent broker owners. And they were talking about profitability and different things. And at the time, this was a few years ago, Indies were earning 15 cents on every dollar. So as agent commissions are getting compressed and squeezed, brokers are now playing that same game instead of standing tall on their value. And at the end of the day, you're working with 15 cents on every dollar that comes in. And now you still got the expenses and the copy machine and all this stuff to be responsible for. It's pretty slim margins. <laughs> yes, it is. And to compound your book, the E-Myth book is a great book. I add on top of it, Profit First by Mike oh. McCalloway. I Give the, I tell my agents to read that book immediately as they come on board is one of the first books they need to read. Because again, it's a business. It needs to be profitable. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Yes. Non-negotiable to read those two books. If anybody listening, go get those two books right now. While we're at it, throw in Fanatic Prospecting, Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blunt. It's another one that I preach. Okay, that's great. In terms of, let's step into the conversations that everybody's interested in when they listen to our podcast or watch the video. Recruiting, that's yes. one of the number one thing. Everybody wants to recruit agent. Again, as a broker, I'm not here. And that's legit. You know what? Some people want to just step out of somebody else's organization. I don't want to get guidelines from somebody. I don't want to pay commissions to anybody. Right. I want to be on my own completely. And it's a brokerage of one. Yes. And that's a legit business. And there's no arguments about that. 
but that's not our main audience. Our main audience wants to grow. They want more agents. So they're interested in recruiting. I'd love to hear from you what you see out there that is working, what is not working, tools, systems, or because we get, I'm a broker. I get phone calls all day long. We can recruit for you. We can call for you. We can do this. We can do that. So I'd love to hear your point of what is working, what is not working, what's out there. Yeah. So a couple of things. I like to give crunchy examples on this because it's such a big topic. And if people take away something, I want to try and give something crunchy, applicable that they can take away from this. But recruiting is, you're right. It's necessary. If you're interested in growth, healthy things grow. I know a lot of people are tired of hearing that word, just like lead generation. So look, whether it's recruiting or you need to use attraction, use whatever word feels right to you. Okay. So I actually just did a masterclass on this yesterday. And the title was From Going Ghosted to Recruited, How I Recruited Two Mega Agent Teams in One Week. So I, I presented this whole masterclass in an hour. I'm going to take that hour and give you guys the compressed sure. version right now very quickly. Long story short, I recruited a $15 million and a $20 million team in the same week. How? That was after I made every attempt to call, text, email, send in the troops. Like I, they would never answer or respond. Anybody else been there listening to this? I bet. So what do you do? I can have every script, every objection handler ready, and I had them ready, but I can't if there's no conversation. So what I did in a Hail Mary last ditch attempt was this. To stand out and be different, I wrote a handwritten note, sent it to their home residence, but inside of that handwritten note, was a folded up display of their, I use broker metrics. So whether you mm -hmm. use broker metrics, the MLS data or whatever, here's the kicker. It's called LOI, lost opportunity income. So I would look up the last 12 months of this agent that I'm seeking to recruit. And I would scribble on this printout in my own handwriting, their lost opportunity income. All I did was in the last 12 months, let's say they had four closings from buyers and eight closings from listings. So 12 total transactions, eight and four. In a perfect world, an agent's business should be 50-50. So under that assumption, for every listing, I should get a buyer. They had a gap of four buyers, right? Yeah. I can now take that gap by calculating what was the volume that they closed on the buy side divided by the number of units that gives me an average sales price for the buy side. And then I do the same thing for the list side. Then I multiply that by 2.5, 2.8, whatever your average commission is. And it gives me a GCI number. So I'm going to take the average GCI multiplied by the gap in this example, four units. And let's say I wrote a handwritten note, put that information in there and said, hey, I just ident I was reviewing your business. I just identified a gap in your business that you're leaving $29,375 on the table. If it makes sense for us, let's get together over a cup of coffee to talk about this. And I'll share some strategies of how we can help you close that gap. Would that be worth 30 minutes? So that's a real life example that nobody's doing. And by the way, brokers, if you're not doing that and having those conversations with your own agents, don't think somebody else isn't doing that right now while you're yep. sleeping on the job re-recruit your own agents first, but then you can utilize mechanisms like that to stand out and talk the language of business, talk numbers, especially when you're dangling, here's real money you're leaving on the table. Let's get together to talk strategy of how we can close that gap. That's a great strategy.
So aside from that, man, I know I didn't fully answer your question. The other thing is stay in a relationship long enough with them until their own broker screws up. Just like we tell agents, I am going to relationship generate all day long until out of those seven or nine years, that person's finally ready to buy or sell their home. I better have something to talk about in between during those seven years while I wait. Just like that, I want to be the first person they call when and if they are finally ready to make a move. So what do I do in the meantime? My strategy, I recruited two and a half to one was my conversion ratio. I would average 20, 25 agents a month. So I would love on them to death. I was an invitation junkie. I would love on them and invite them until they could, because are they going to really get mad? Hey, I thought of you. We're having a listing mastermind next week. Would you like to come and be my guest? No? Okay. I'll try again next time. I just kept inviting until it wore them down, coming from a place of value and contribution. And and we've heard that from a lot of the brokers we already talked to. It's you build a relationship, you build a name in the industry, you do things for your own broker, your own agent, but you invite other agents from the outside to the same activity. And like you said, it's exactly like direct marketing. Just because I sent a postcard doesn't mean that person is ready to sell the house. But if I keep sending that postcard, when they are ready to sell that house, then they have my face in front of them, my information in front of them. So I guess you take that same logic, which all of our agents understand that. And all of our brokers definitely know that. And you apply it on the broker, on the recruiting side of things. Kind of like stay in front of them, give them value, continuous value until they are ready to make a move. That, that makes total sense. In making sure that your message meets the market. Okay. So for example, if, if in COVID, if I was still inviting agents to an open house class, my message isn't exactly meeting the market in the moment yes. right now. Okay. Hey, look, we're going to, we're going to hold a agent centric mastermind next week, all about the top three tech tools. One of which is chat GPT. Would you like to attend? Now I'm dropping something that's the flavor of the day and they're more likely to be open to that invitation. Awesome. And where do you see most of those brokers interact with these agents? Do they do those invitations, those invites as a virtual Zoom kind of thing? Or do you see them come to our office and do this? Because again, back to we're independent broker focus on our end. A lot of our, our listeners don't have an office. Correct. Or if they do have, it's like a small little thing in a WeWork environment, uh, which we have a private office in a shared office building. But we also have those conference rooms where we can invite people to the conference room. So where do you see most independent brokers do those interactions? Number one, it's a mixed bag. But what I'm seeing trending more of right now at the time of us talking, you can probably guess, is in person. Whether you have, if you're a virtual company or you don't have a formal office space, you can still partner with one of your vendor partners or find a WeWork space or something in person is making a charge back. I think people are all zoomed out. They have Zoom fatigue. But if that's all you got, it doesn't matter the venue, whether it's literally on Zoom or in person so much as as long as you're doing them and you're facilitating that environment because the invitation is just as powerful sometimes as the attendance no different than an agent who's putting on an open house. They're sad or disappointed two hours later because nobody showed up. And yet they suddenly forget about all the signs, the balloons, the exposure that they got marketing that open house, even if nobody showed up. You just never know what's going to come off of that. 
Got it. That that that's really good. So you mentioned earlier that your commission split should not be your recruiting tool. It should not be the only value you put in front of people when you're recruiting them. What do you see as the most valuable for agents when approaching them? Do you, so we know the commission split is a part of it, but it's not the big thing. So what is what should a broker focus on when they build that value proposition and when they go to the recruiting conversation with a, with their agent? So we really try to keep a pulse on this exact question, and we do so through focus groups, masterminds with our own partners, and just surveys and Facebook groups and stuff, one of which one of our coaches recently did. He asked the same question to independent broker owners and then went to our agent group and asked them the same question. The answers completely Not different. different. Right. I know why I'm asking the question then. <laughs> right. It's what do you, we ask the brokers, what do you think agents value or want the most? And then we ask the agents, what do you value and seek the most? The brokers thought it was the hands-on training, the support, the internal coaching or mentoring. Yes, all of that is important. But the agent's answer was actually the technology leads and wanting more of the practical day-to-day application of stuff, not saying the support and leadership isn't important, but if you were to rank the two against their each other and their answers, they were actually quite different. And that's fascinating. So I think it's a 360 degree approach. I'm not sure you can mail it in with just one of five. I think right now it's important that, especially for independent broker owners, that may not have the resources that big box national franchises have that they check all the boxes. What are we doing culturally to have a strong culture? What are we doing to grow our own leadership and be that leader that other people say, I want to stand by that person? What are we doing maybe to bring in agent attraction of leads and serving the community? How are we pouring into our agents through training and coaching development? I think it's important to, to look at all of that and then if you've got a really competitive or a value appropriate commission split or model, then that completes the, the big five. Gotcha. That, that, that's good. That's good to know. And yes, I know there is a disconnect between the brokers and agents because yeah. otherwise every broker would recruit a lot of agents every month, right? Yeah. But some are better than others on these things. And it's loud out there. It's competitive as heck. And there's a lot of noise and a lot of recruiting and headhunting and things. And that's just the nature of the beast. So how are you going to stand out? So let's touch on that for a second, because this is something that we've seen happen recently, increasingly recently, is outside companies reaching out to brokers and saying, hey, I'll recruit for you. So I'd love to hear your voice on that one. And if you can share experience from your your audience, your coaching clients, what if they try it and work or doesn't work? Yeah. Uh, without throwing any company names under the bus, my personal opinion and validated by partners of ours who are independent broker owners is it doesn't work. I, I hate it. I am not a fan of it. And that's just my opinion. Who can deliver your value proposition better than you? And if you're just afraid or don't know what to say or whatever, we, you can get coached through that. But to hire an outside company to try and deliver that is, is if it works for you, great, keep doing it. It just doesn't align with my personal belief system. And a lot of our partners who have tried it 
have given similar feedback that it was a waste of money. It did not work. They maybe set a lot of appointments, but very few of them actually showed for the appointment. A lot of no-shows was the biggest frustration. Yeah, and that's a frustration even when you do it yourself, right? We have no-shows. We have people that, that show and say, yeah, that sounds great, and then they disappear. I understand that part, but it makes sense. It's like everything else that you outsource. It'll never be done better than you. Okay. And let's talk about what brokers out there are doing for, how you called it, lead attraction? Just marketing, bringing in leads. We always ask if the broker provides leads for the agent. And we have split answers on that one. And then we step into how they generate those leads. So let's start with from the brokers you work for, especially the independent ones, because we yep. understand Keller Williams, EXP, Remax, the big guys, they'll spend millions and millions of dollars on generating those leads and they'll just dump them into the system and round robin, random people can get random leads. That's not the format that independent brokers nope. want or are capable of doing. So for the independent brokers, what do you see them do out there to generate those leads? It's a really great question. And so we had a training we did probably about three months ago on this exact topic. And Jared is this gentleman's name who's an independent broker. He was the guest that we had speak to this because he does it better than anyone, at least in our ecosystem. So every year they host, generally around the major holidays, probably a half of a dozen community events. So they, as the, the brokerage, are the hosts. They're the ones putting all the PR and marketing and this and that and the other thing out there, but they do such an amazing job incorporating the agents, giving the agents a chance to invite their databases to the cook-off, the chili cook-off or the fishing derby or whatever it is. It's sponsored, for lack of a better term, by the brokerage itself, but the way they go about infiltrating the community as a community event in each of their agents the results that he gets from this are insane. And I don't have them in front of me to cite specifically what they are, but there was about 50 indies on this particular training I'm talking about. And every single one of them walked away mind blown. And he was kind enough to even share his systems and the step-by-step process of what he does and what he calls each of the events and the timing of the year that he does them. It was incredible. So I know for a fact that if you can host and be in, be more a part of the community versus just putting out sponsored or paid Facebook ads and different things like that and incorporate your team of agents as if they feel it's just as much their event as it is yours, giving back and having fun with the community, big dividends, big time. Awesome. Now for the other side of that conversation, does all your bro- independent broker you work with deliver those leads to their agent? Do Because honestly... As an independent broker, I'm looking at it and got echoed in some of the conversations we already have done with other brokers is you can deliver leads, but A, internet leads are shit for lack of better description, or in more technical terms, the conversion rates are very low and they require a very disciplined follow-up and nurturing and all that but you as a broker i can train and say you got to do the follow-up and you got to nurture the leads but i can't make them do that so really 
some of the brokers that we talk to have this challenge of, I'm going to spend a lot of money generating those leads. And even though I train them, I don't have a way to make them do that. And I don't have a way to sometimes verify that they do that the right way. So I stopped doing that or I don't do that anymore or I never ever started doing that. Yeah, I've got one partner. Yeah, I've got one partner of mine that personally spends $6,000 on sync leads. And he's been doing that for about 14 months now. Not a single closing. Not a single closing. Now, to your point. Tons of leads. I don't know the quality. Neither does he because he's not the one working them. It's here you go. Here's your 60 leads for the month agent. And he's trying to teach them the conversion and backend drips and touch points and things like that. But like you're just saying, I think he's just flushing six grand a month down the toilet. That's what he's doing. And so what I've seen work, if you're getting into the online lead procurement game in order to distribute them to your agents, round robin or whatever situation you've got, the best ones either have their own in-house, call them what you want, database manager, or a lot of people refer to it as an IS, working the lead who's specifically skilled in doing so. You put them on a small base salary, maybe like 24 grand a year. And then when they convert one of these leads, they receive some sort of referral, 5%, maybe 10%, something like that of the GCI. So it's an actual lucrative opportunity for that person who's just hustling, right? And it's still a win for the recipient of the agent, like a referral, as well as the brokerage. So you must have a dedicated person unless you want to teach 20 of your agents to be skilled online lead converters when maybe one or two of them actually will. Let me ask a different question, right? If you would have coached me to do that as a broker, I would tell you, if I'm going to pay a base salary for someone that is licensed, because in the state of Texas, in order to do that, you have to be licensed, then I, why wouldn't I just pay 60 bucks a month on a Red X and get them the expired or the for sale by owner and have them nur- call and nurture those leads? Still got to do it. A lot cheaper than six grand with sync. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot cheaper than six grand. There's no doubt about that. It's nothing (laughs) against sync, right? We have some brokers that have phenomenal success with sync, but just repeating what you said earlier. Yes. So you can do that. And a list is still a list is still a list. Just because they're a FISBO or expired doesn't mean you still don't have to work them the same way. You're probably going to work an online lead. It still requires a robust follow-up system that requires effort more than just one or two calls. It's probably more like eight to 12 touches before they, they're they ready to do something in most cases. So there's no right or wrong to that. What I'm saying though, is if you have a dedicated staff or not, st- well, dedicated person on doing this for a living, I can calculate that math real easy. If my average GCI, let's say per closing to the, re- to the company is 2000, after splits or what, however you guys do that. I need 12 sales to break even. And I don't do this just to break even. I do this to get a two, three, four X return on my investment. So can I close with a dedicated person anywhere from 12 to an extra 36 or 48 homes a year? Probably. So I'm able to justify that type of expenditure, knowing that it's going to get an ROI better than just paying for leads and hoping and praying somebody's working them. Yes, absolutely. Okay, what, I heard some reference to social media, but let's talk about social media. What do you see agents or brokers out there doing? What do you recommend brokers doing with social media? Any specific channel that work or don't work in that word? Yes, it is social media. 
social networking. Be social. Stop being weird. Stop being creepy. Stop being slimy. Stop all the things and just be human. So it takes some intentionality, right? As far as I'm concerned, my Facebook page is my touch program. I don't need some fancy CRM because I'm active. I'm not ghosting people where if they comment on mine, I just don't comment back. Or if I scroll and see something like they just adopted a dog, I'm going to take the extra second and actually say, wow, what a cute dog and comment, not just give the head fake of a heart emoji. So it's, I know this is like Captain Obvious stuff here, but I challenge our folks to run a social media 5k, a Facebook 5k. They allow you 5,000 friends. So go out there and run a 5k until you've exhausted that and friend requested people and built this connection on social media then you've got a lot of runway because that makes you visible. And when you're visible, people have questions. They have opportunities come through. You meet somebody who knows somebody that knows somebody. So I'm a big proponent of utilizing social media, not just to brag or say, look at me, look at me. Use it to be social and have an impact and tell your story Hey, oh my gosh, Sally Sue just had her 12th closing. What an amazing job. Congratulations, Sally Sue. Hey, did you know next week we're having a chili cook-off? Stand by for the three-minute splash video of all the footage we took from this amazing event. Just get out there and tell your story and stop being a low seven secret leader, just like we tell our agents, don't be a low seven secret agent. Yep, that, that that's great. So that, because I, I talk to brokers and they tell me, yeah, we do social media, but it all always sounds like they're doing social media as an agent and not necessarily social media as a broker. And I, I and so I always have to ask a follow-up question is okay, do you do anything on social media or on the marketing side for the brokerage? Because so, we as a brokerage, sometimes I'll run a Facebook ads campaign or a Google a PC campaign just for brand awareness, not for the sake of generating leads, but for the sake of when my agents give their business card and they see Wisdom Realtors or they see Eureka Business Group, they go, oh, I know your brand. They see the colors, they see the little emblem we have, right? Then they go, oh, I've seen it. I know what it is. Because we're, and this is something I train my agents, but I think it's very transferable to brokers is, you're not competing against the next agent. You're competing against obscurity. You're competing against anonymity. You got to, you talk to any person out there and say, hey, give me two, three names of agents and they'll be able to give you that. So I tell my agents, your job is to get into that list, not necessarily to the number one spot, but you need to get into that list. So for me as a broker, everybody can say Keller Williams, Remax, and EXP. I want my brokerage to be somewhere in that list somehow. And that's why I encourage brokers. You got to spend time and money and marketing efforts just for the brokerage, just for the brand, not necessarily for leads. I would agree. I agree with that. I think it's getting real clear on what is the purpose? What is my desired outcome? If I'm going to shell out this amount of money to build the brand awareness and be top of mind. So we win part of that mind share battle do that. Yes. But am I going to spend money to boost an ad or something in hopes of recruiting an agent? Probably not. Right. Because at the end of the day, 
my belief system at least is people are loyal to people. People are not loyal to brands. No matter what they say, I'm unrecruitable. Yeah, everybody's got their price or whatever happens that makes them now all of a sudden receptive. So I like using social media. I think what I hear you saying where I'm going to push the brand out. So it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard or I've seen the locker room before. That sounds familiar at least. But when it comes to me, I want them to believe in my leadership. And so I don't use it to promote the Jake Dixon show. I'm doing that one-to-one friend request, how I'm telling my story and doing different things like there, while maybe the money is going to build the brand just so it's recognizable. Exactly. Right. And when you say I'm Jake Dixon from the locker room, they go, they don't go Jake from where? Right. Jake from State Farm. That's what I always get. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not wearing khakis, by the way. Ah, there you go. But not a red shirt either. Let's step to the last segment where we ask about technology and tools. And I'm sure you see a lot of CRMs and a lot of transaction management and a lot of these kind of tools. Give us the top two or three cool apps, cool tools that you've seen people use out there that can really either generate an unfair advantage or can really make everybody's life easier. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah, I know there's so many out there. I was going to say, okay. So in in partly a, I believe in the product and B, I know the guy, the owners of the two companies I'm about to give and they are as just as good as they come. All right. And that makes me confident to, to answer that question and share, by the way, Disclaimer, I get no kickbacks. There's no affiliate, anything of any kind. This is a genuine recommendation. Number one is Suite Assist, which is all things back end for independent broker owners, whether it's transaction management, all the things that you otherwise may go purchase and have bolt-on technologies for. It's like the one, one of the few, at least, all-inclusive kind of back-end system platforms for independent broker owners. So I personally like the product of Sweet Assist, and I happen to know the gentleman behind it, and their hearts are pure, and they're really good dudes, okay? Another one I would recommend is AM Cards. Again, I know Curtis, who's the owner of AM Cards. If anybody's, I guess their competition would be Send Out Cards. So okay. you know what I'm talking about, where you can create your own custom greeting card or congratulations, any type of card with your mm-hmm. own, not your own, but what looks like your own handwriting, It's one of those automated machines that'll print it at mass and you can send it and actually set up your AM cards program. It's 39 bucks a month, low subscription. And you can use that as a drip. So you just set it and forget it. Hey, every 12 months, I want this to go out to Sally Sue for her home buying anniversary card. And you can do that instead of the email that may or may not get opened. Everybody's going to open this card because it looks like it's handwritten from you. And you can put their kid, their dog, their ice cream, whatever you want to, you can customize these cards at your at your choosing. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I've heard about that one. Yeah. amcards.com. Okay. Any uh, CRM system that kind of stands out? Because yeah. I know everybody's losing a lot, right? There's LionDesk, there's FollowUp Boss, there is uh, HubSpot. There's a million of them out there. Any one of them stands out as something yep. that you saw as a game changer? Yep. 
Yep, absolutely, actually. Some of the ones, of course, that you've listed are great. Brivity would be another one that's pretty pop. One that is really on our radar right now as a company ourselves is Go High Level. If you don't know of High Level, Go High Level, I think you're smiling. You must. It is really robust. I admit, those of you listening, I was not interested. I was. I wouldn't say I was a hater. I just don't, I don't need to see every latest and greatest shiny object product, but what's been shown to me and the people in my world who use it, it's pretty freaking awesome and robust and does a lot of things that other CRMs don't do. It's more integrated with social and stuff. I'm pretty impressed. So that one would be worth checking out. Yeah. Interesting. I have a good friend that is using it for his e-com coaching business and yep. stuff like that. So they, I, I think they have landing pages and you can build classes inside of it and all that. So exactly. it's kind of interesting. It's exactly right. Awesome. Again, focusing on independent brokers and we'll wrap with those questions. What do you, what do your clients tell you is the hardest part about being an independent broker? Independent broker. I have an answer for that. Actually, I don't have to think hard about that. It's, I would summarize it as it's the leadership part of things. It can feel really lonely. It can feel really isolating. And especially for indies who maybe not be a part of a greater ecosystem with peers and other leaders you can go to and whether it's brainstorm or vent to, that is why podcasts like what you're doing right here, the independent broker podcast is so valuable and the communities that we're creating out there to bring indies together, that's big time stuff. Because if you're not careful, that land of isolation is really scary. And they just need, just like anyone else, to feel heard. And with all of this noise, a lot of people just want to feel heard. And then they want to feel valued or validated. And so what we're doing here and what you're doing with the podcast is that's why I'm here. I'm a fan because in these, I see a trend big time. It's already started. I see it continuing. Independent broker owners is where it's at. Nothing. I got a lot of great friends at big boxes. I have a personal affinity with Indie because I know what you're up against. And yet you can do this. Agents depend on you. They need what you have, even if they haven't realized that yet. Indie gives that just down to earth home cooking feel, that good old-fashioned loving that sometimes you don't always get at a big box. I say keep going, but definitely the feeling of being alone on an island in isolation is the often the biggest thing. They need community. Yeah. Thank you for the compliment, but that's exactly why we started this podcast is because I wanted to talk to other brokers. I've had a, a, a few other brokers that either I met in person or I met through social media in Facebook groups here and there. And they're all asking the same question. And we're all dying to ask each other the same questions, but you don't get a chance to do that. Or some people don't feel comfortable reaching out and saying, hey, what are you using for CRM? What do you do for recruiting? What do you, how's your split looking? And I'm just not shy. I'll just go ahead, ask the question. And I'll put it out there and I'll share what we... So that's why we started this thing. And I also agree with you on the trend. We started all the way back in 2008. And back then you would drive, we're in North Texas, you would drive everywhere and you would see Keller Williams, Ebby Holidays, and Remax. EXP yeah. didn't even exist back then. And now I drive around and I don't recognize 80% of the signs out there. Yeah. You can barely see the big box anymore, at least in our market. Yes, there's still a lot of Keller Williams, there's still Remax, there's still EXP, but most of them 
have personal branding already with small brokerages that have popped up everywhere in the last five years or so. So I do think that is a trend. We talked about the hardest thing, but we're not here to talk about just the hard thing. What is the best thing that your clients tell you is to be an independent broker? Especially if you had a chance to talk to the ones that did the transition from a big box into independence. That's the majority, at least for us, I can speak for us. That's the majority. And they're grateful, generally speaking, for the time and what they learned. And yet now it's I'm a fly off little birdie kind of moment. So I would easily say the number one thing is, surprise, surprise, it's the freedom. It's the freedom to make decisions, not have to go up the chain or ask permission and, or forgiveness. It's, uh, you know what? This is a proud moment. This is my business. And also, that can be scary because now you're exposed. You can't be hide behind anything. It's sink or swim time. And I got a sneaking suspicion your listeners are competitive people. That's why they chose to do that in the first place. So undoubtedly, it's no more tape, no more politics, no more whatever. It's let's go do this thing. And it's fun. It's exciting. But just make sure you keep it fun, you guys. And that's where finding your tribe, getting in a community, being a part of these things, it matters who you choose to surround yourself with versus just waking up one day and saying, dang, I spent all day behind a computer in a solo office. When's the last time I've networked with a fellow indie? Yeah. Got to get out there. Yeah, that makes total sense. So one last question, what would be your best advice for an agent that is ready to do make the change and is looking to go independent? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Have a clear vision as to why you're doing it and what you want it to look like. I have a course called the 13 steps to building a scalable business, and it outlines all of this internal work first, get clear, get right. Be kind to yourself inside because that's exactly what's going to show up outside of what from what you call your company, the agents that you attract, the, the staff that you ultimately hire. Everything is centered around doing this early inside work. And so I would just say, don't have that entrepreneurial seizure, have it, but then slow your butt down and say, now, why am I doing this? I'm going to get tested. What am I willing to fight for? What am I willing to have unequivocal, unapologetic belief in? Because the noise is going to come, the attacks, the haters. So get clear. Why am I doing this? What does that ideal, compelling future look like? And then go get it. Go get it. <clears throat> awesome. That's a great advice. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's been great value. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to really appreciate some of the insights that you shared. If they want to reach out, whether they want to be part of the locker room community or not, how can they find you? Sure. First of all, I don't have to have my hand in every cookie jar to still want to help you. So reach out to me. I'm a real person. If I if, if we're not meant to align, at least I can help you and we'll make a new friendship out of the deal. So my email is lockerroomcoaching at gmail.com. And then anybody who does want to check out our website, you can just go to tlrnation.com. That's the locker room, tlrnation.com. And give us a check and check us out. Or you can follow us on all the social channels. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put those links in the show notes. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. And for you, the listeners, if you want to see more of that, if you want to hear more interviews with great independent brokers, please subscribe to the channel and to the podcast and give us a review. One star, five star, it doesn't matter what you feel is right, whatever you feel will accept it. And we also accept feedback and we'll see you on the next episode. 
that was awesome. I learned something new. I hope you did too. And if you want to learn more from our expert, please subscribe to the channel and share with your friends.